Hey TC family, we're back again and we're excited to be here with you today. We just dropped a brand new episode and we are fired up that you're tuning in for it. Before we kick it off, we want to remind you of a valuable resource and that's our 24-7 helpline. You can call anytime, anywhere, day or night and a Teen Challenge staff member will be on the other end waiting for your call. If you or a loved one needs prayer or help with an addiction, please call us right now at 888-520-0620. We're back with a fresh and exciting episode from Spiritual Emphasis 2022. Today, you're going to hear a timely word from our very good friend, Pastor Daniel Bentley. He pastors Maranatha Church in the San Diego area. Did you know that subscribing to this podcast is free? So please subscribe today if you haven't. We hope it's a great resource to you and your friends and your family. God bless you today, my friends. What an amazing, amazing time in worship. The presence of the God is, of God is in this place. Amen. It's thick. It's thick. And you know, it's not lost on me, um, just the magnitude of this moment and I feel like I was worshiping over there and God put it in my heart. He gave me a word and I believe it's for more than just one person. I believe there are a number of people in here in this room right now that God is going to use to reach the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are, there are world changers in this room. Uh, the next David Wilkerson is in this room and I was so blessed to meet his son Gary uh, earlier today and and I think of the ministry of my father, Ray Bentley, who founded the church in uh, San Diego that I now pastor. He passed away in January, and I'm following in his footsteps. I think about the ministry of this place and Harvest Christian Fellowship and how, um, you know, the, the ministry of this pulpit, how it goes out around the world, and God is using this place. But there's a new generation, and God is raising up a new generation of servant leaders, men and women who are on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ to change hearts and change lives. Amen. Amen. Um, the Lord put this scripture on my heart this morning. This is a word that he spoke through the prophet Ezekiel. And he said this, he said, I looked for anyone to repair the wall and stand in the gap for me on behalf of the land so I wouldn't have to destroy it. And then one of the saddest sentences in Scripture, he says, but I couldn't find anyone. God was looking for a man. He's looking for a woman. Someone who would say, I'm willing to raise my hand like Isaiah and say, here am I, Lord, send me. I don't have much to offer, but I'll, I'll put myself in your service. And I want to be that man. I want to be that woman who stands in the gap. If that's the desire of your heart today, would you just stand to your feet? Let's go. Amen. 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 You can stay standing because I'm going to pray for all of you in just a moment. But I do believe that our nation is at a critical juncture right now. And we, we saw what happened just yesterday at a school in Texas. I think it's Uvalde, Texas. And you know, it's interesting they tried to take God out of the classroom in 1963, I believe it was. Remove prayer from schools, as if you could do that. 
And then it was 10 years later that they legalized abortion in this country. We have become so backwards and twisted and turned around. We think up is down and down is up, but it's not too late. It's not too late. There is a swell, there is a movement, there is a generation that is rising up who, of people who will say, I'm willing to stand in the gap and pray for my nation, to pray for our leaders, to pray for the lost, to be that man, to be that woman. And yeah, the days are dark, but the darker the night, the brighter the stars shine. Amen? Amen. So we, we do that by falling on our knees and we, we pray. And so just extend your arms with me, and I'm going to pray and lead us into this time this morning. Thank you, Lord, for an army. This is an army. I'm reminded in this moment of what you were able to do through just a handful of surrendered servants. And you took them, and you molded them, and you shaped them, and they, weren't, they didn't have the right pedigree, Lord. They didn't come from the right background. They were fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots, and and you took those guys and you shaped them into your character and then you released them in your power and they went out and they turned the world upside down for Jesus. And Lord, my heart is hungry and my prayer is, would you do it again? Would you do it now? Would you do it through us? We say, here we are, Lord. We're yours would you use us to bring people to Jesus? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of learning how to pray with power. The topic given to me for this conference was always pray. What a great topic, you know, always pray. You can go ahead and start flipping your Bibles to Colossians we're going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 2 this morning. But I'm also uh, humbled, you know, to talk on a subject like prayer because I don't think there's any of us that would say, you know, prayer, yeah, I've got that wired. I've got it down. I'm an expert on the subject of prayer. I feel like an infant. I feel like a newbie. I feel like a beginner. But I want to pray more effectively. And I think one of the best ways to grow in our prayer life, to increase the effectiveness of our prayers is to study the prayers of the Bible. Did you know that there are over 650 recorded prayers in the Bible? And so if you want to become a prayer warrior, then let me suggest that you start by looking at and considering the prayers that are recorded for us here, and they will improve your prayer life. So today we're going to eavesdrop on the prayer of a guy named Paul the Apostle. Let's go ahead and begin there in chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. I want you to know how hard I am contending. And just tuck that word away in your heart. We're going to come back to that. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. And for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they might be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they might have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they might know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one might deceive you through fine-sounding arguments, 
For though I am absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So let's start where Paul begins. He says, I want you to know that I'm contending hard for you. Those of you in Colossae, that's the church that he's writing to. He also says, I'm contending for those in Laodicea and all the believers who have yet to see me face to face. So Paul is here talking about believers that he has never met personally. And I'm struck by this idea, this concept, that although he'd never met them, he was contending for them. He had a heart for them. He was laboring and travailing in prayer for them. And this is a hallmark of the Apostle Paul's ministry. When you read through the New Testament, Paul wrote about half the books in the New Testament. And when you start to compile the list of individuals, as well as churches that Paul said, I'm praying for you guys, I'm praying for you, I'm praying, I'm laboring, I'm contending for you. You get a sense of his prayer life. I mean, this guy prayed all the time. He lived out the theme of this conference. He was always praying. So it wasn't just something that he said, it was something that he lived out. And so there's, there's so much for us to learn, and yet many of us, when we think about prayer, we're intimidated by it. Maybe we're scared a little bit. We feel like we don't know how to pray. I, I heard a story about a, a lady who invited a bunch of people over for a dinner party and they all sat around the table and she nudged her little six-year-old at the table and said, why don't you give grace for the meal? And the, the six-year-old said, but mommy, I wouldn't know what to, to say. And the mom said, oh, it's okay, honey. Just say what you hear mommy say. The little girl said, okay. She bowed her head and said, dear Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner, you know? <laughs> and that's like us, right? We feel like we don't have the right words. But let's just simplify it. When you strip prayer down to its irreducible minimum, you know what prayer is? It's just talking to God. Can you be a Christian without prayer? I suppose it's possible I mean, in the same way that it's possible to be married without talking to your spouse, but you're not going to have a very good relationship or one that lasts or goes deep. And, and so God wants to hear from us because we're his kids and his ear is tuned specifically to the sound of your voice. And when you look at scripture, there are all different kinds of prayer. There are many different kinds of prayer found in the Bible, but most of the prayers you find in Scripture, they fall into one of five categories. Let me outline them for you here. You might even want to jot these down. The first kind is petition. This is where you're asking God for something. And the Scriptures invite us, encourage us to come with boldness before the throne of grace to, to make our needs known to God. So we're to ask God for His provision and His blessing in our life. That's petition. The second kind of prayer is confession. And this should be a daily part of our prayer repertoire, where every day we have new things to confess, areas of our lives where we need God's grace to be poured out. 1 John 1.9 promises us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. How many of you are thankful today that there is always more grace in God than there is sin in us? <laughs> You can't tap out the reservoir or well of God's love. It's like the ocean. And so we come to him and confession is part of our prayer lives. But so too is thanksgiving, which is the third form of prayer that we see throughout scripture. 
And this is such a critical component of our prayers where we're just thanking him. Thank you, God, for loving me, for, for creating this world, for bringing me to this point in my life where I recognize my need for you. And we just thank him for who he is and what he does. We ought to always give thanks. And then a fourth kind of prayer would be praise, which is very similar. And this is what you see throughout the Psalms. This is, this is what we were doing in worship a moment ago, just praising God. They were songs, but they were also prayers as we expressed our love for the Lord. And then the fifth form of prayer would be intercession. And this is a super important component of prayer. This is where you enter the spiritual arena and begin to do warfare in the invisible spiritual realm. And you've got to know that outside of the physical realm, which we can see with our eyes, there is an invisible spiritual universe and there are angels and there are demons and there is heaven and there is hell. And those two things are at war with one another. And when we engage in intercessory prayer, we are joining the forces of heaven and pushing back the darkness. And that's what Paul says he was doing here. That's what's described for us as Paul engages the enemy in the spiritual arena and contends on behalf of these believers. I've always loved this quote from this guy named Samuel Chadwick. Let me read it to you. This is a great quote. It's about the power of prayer. He said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. When the weakest saint drops to his or her knees and lifts up their voice in prayer, all of hell begins to tremble. That's why I love what we're doing today. Amen. Now let's talk, let's really dig into this word contend here because it, it's the heartbeat of Paul's prayer for this church. Now the word contend, it comes from the Greek word agon. Same word from which we get our English word, agony or agonize. It speaks of a struggle or a contest. And it was used specifically in that day to describe the different competitions that the Greeks had in their Olympic games. And I love this because I'm a sports fan. And I think Paul must have been a sports fan too because he's always using analogies and painting metaphors and borrowing illustrations from the sporting world. And it is really cool, isn't it, to see a talented athlete that is excelling and at the top of their field in their given sport. You know, it reminds me of when I was a kid. My dad used to tell me, he'd be tucking me in, and he played some football in high school. He was, he was a quarterback, and he said to me, you know, if I had been bigger and stronger and faster, I think I probably could have gone pro. And I would look at him with these big eyes. I was like, wow. And he would go around school and tell all my friends, you know, my dad was almost a pro athlete. Until I realized as I got older, like, wait a minute. If anybody's bigger and faster and stronger, they might go pro too. But it, that's besides the point. I think Paul was like that, though. He saw himself <laughs> like, like these professional athletes. Only he understood something. He understood that he was contending for something far more significant than an earthly championship or a gold medal or a championship ring. He writes about it here. He writes about it again in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Let me read this verse to you. There he says this. Everyone who competes, and by the way, when he says everyone who competes, the word competes there is the same word 
that's in our text. Agon. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Now they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So he's looking at these athletes and he goes, man, I notice how how dedicated they are to their sport. And my wife, she's pretty athletic. She likes to work out and, and she's a fitness person. You know, she does all that stuff. And, and so she was always going to these boot camps and CrossFit things. And then one day she came home and, and she could barely walk through the door. And I was like, what, what's wrong with you? You look like you can barely stand. She plops down on the couch. I'm like, what happened today at the gym? And she goes, well, the regular teacher wasn't there. And so we had a sub. Only the sub was a former Olympic athlete. Now that's training at a whole nother level. I mean, an Olympic athlete is monitoring not just their workout regimen, but they're counting their calories and they're only putting the proper supplements in their body so that they can perform at an optimal level. They're monitoring their sleep. They're training morning, noon, and night. And Paul looks at that and he says, man, that is so cool. But they're doing it to obtain an earthly crown. And at that time, they would get a wreath made from leaves and be dead in a couple of weeks. We do it for a gold medal, let's say, at the Olympics. Just the outside is covered in gold. Most of it's nickel. And he says, how much more then should we be dedicated to our craft, not just our craft, dedicated to this life, this lifestyle of prayer, of devotion, of contending for one another in the faith. So that's what Paul is talking about here. Now, what did he pray for? He prays for two things specifically. The first thing he prays is that these believers would be encouraged in their heart. I hope there's somebody in here today who came to get encouraged because that is the goal and the point and the hope of my entire talk is that you would leave here encouraged in the Lord. Now when we talk about encouragement, it's a word that means to give support, confidence, or instill hope. It's one of those things you can never overdose on. You know, nobody's ever saying, you know, like, please stop. I, I don't need any more encouragement. Nobody's hiding from the guy or the girl that comes along and always has an encouraging word. You're like seeking that person out. Amen. It's impossible to over encourage someone. And I can personally attest to that fact. I'm so thankful for the people in my life who they, they're there and they always encourage me. They build me up. They strengthen me. They lift my arms to go into the battle. But there are also those people who are discouragers. Anybody got one of those in their life? Oh, man. I think we all do. Every time I see one of them, I just want to run for the exits. They're like a, a wet blanket, rain clouds. And it, I give you God's permission to run from them at all costs. You know? But here's the thing. Discouragement is an unavoidable part of life, isn't it? And it, it comes from, I think, disappointment. Disappointments are unavoidable. It's ha what happens, though, is when we dwell on our disappointments, what the devil does is he grabs hold of that and he sets hooks in our hearts and that's what causes us to become discouraged. And this is why the devil and hell are so bent on seeing you become discouraged because they know that when you're discouraged, you're going to lack the motivation to keep going. A discouraged Christian is an ineffective Christian. 
They're a Christian that has removed themselves from the fight. They've sidelined themselves. They've put themselves on the bench. And Satan knows he doesn't have to bother with that person anymore. So he puts a lot of time and effort into discouraging us. And maybe you're discouraged here this morning and you're going through the motions. But in your heart, there's a heaviness there. And if people only knew you're hanging on by the slimmest of margins and by a thread. God sent me here to read the words of Paul the Apostle to you that you might be encouraged today to stay in the fight for one more day. We need to encourage each other. The Bible says it like this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, Encourage one another and build one another up. You need to find three people today. And just maybe let's just practice this right now. Just look at them right now and tell them God loves you so much. Now tell them be encouraged by that fact. Amen. Now look at the person on the other side of you that you didn't choose first. They're your second choice. And tell them, God loves you so much. Amen. Amen. There's some building up going on in here. I love it. Now, now what about this, though? You say that's good and fine. Hey, we're just doing some encouraging. I'm okay. I'm cool with that. I'll wait. I'll wait. Amen. Amen. But there are those times. There are those times, right? There are those times when, when there's no one there to encourage us. You know, even David, King David reached that point in his life. He was at a real low point, and even his own army wanted to turn on him and they wanted to kill him. And you know what the scripture says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6? It says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And you can look to other people and you can be an encourager in other people's life, but there will come a point in your journey where you need to learn the discipline of encouraging yourself in the Lord. The second thing that Paul prays for the Colossian believers was that they would be united in love. Man, unity among believers is a beautiful thing. It's also a powerful thing, but let's be real, it's challenging. It's hard to achieve and even harder to maintain. Getting a group of believers to, to, to get along, it, it's like one person described it, it's like trying to get a group of porcupines to cuddle. Every time they get close, they end up poking each other. And the thing about the devil is he loves, he loves to divide. His first action was to divide heaven, divide the angels. And then he drove a wedge between Eve and Adam, and then between them and God, and he's been continuing to do that ever since. It's another one of his favorite strategies, and he's quite good at it. We call ourselves the United States of America, but come on, let's be real. We're more like the divided states of America. We're divided on so many issues ranging from race to politics to the environment, mask, no max, mask, vax, no vax, Democrat, Republican, I could go on and on, paper, plastic, boxers, briefs, you get the idea, we're divided, and it's crazy. And that's why the church is called to be different. We're, told to we're called to contend for unity. Listen to what Jesus prayed. So this is Jesus' prayer for his church. He prays in John 17, and, and it's his high priestly prayer. This is Jesus, and he says, I pray not only for them, this is disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So that's you and I. This is Jesus' prayer for us. 
He says, I pray for all who will believe because of their word, so that they might be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also might be in us. Why? So that the world might know that you sent me, and I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they might be one, as we are one. Jesus says when the outside, unbelieving world looks at a united church that has set aside their secondary issues and opinions so that they could gather and rally around the one central thing, the only thing that really matters, which is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the world's going to take notice of that and they're going to know that we belong to another kingdom. It preaches. When we come together under the banner of God's love, it speaks to a world that is looking for something real. So Paul prays that they'd be encouraged, that they'd be united, that they would grow in the mysteries of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 6 to say this, So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. It's great that they had started off well, but Paul wanted to see them continue on in their faith. And this is a sad fact, but we could all sit here and talk about people that we knew or know that at one time were on fire for Jesus, but they're no longer walking with him. What happened? Their love ran cold. The fire, it blew out. Jesus said that in the last days, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And I believe that we're living in those days. And so we need to do everything that we can to make sure that we not only start strong, but that we continue on. Listen, the goal is not just that you would jump high, but that you would walk straight. Not that you would just start well, but that you would finish strong. King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 8, said it like this. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. And so we want to conduct ourselves, we want to set ourselves up to finish the marathon. Because it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. There was this race that they used to run a long time ago in Greece, and it was a, a particular kind of relay race that I read about. And at the beginning of the race, each team would be given a, a torch, and they would run their leg of the race, and then they, it was filled with all kinds of obstacles and water pits and so on, and then they would hand the torch to the next leg of the runner, the next runner in the leg of the race. And, and, and then the, the team that won wasn't necessarily the first team that crossed the finish line, but it was the first team to cross the finish line with their torch still lit. I mentioned this at the beginning, but my father, who's my spiritual hero, Pastor Ray Bentley, and uh, he, amen, some of you know him, but he ran a good race. And I'm here to tell you, he finished strong with the fire still burning in his heart. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to fizzle out. I don't want to crawl, army crawl across the finish line with a whimper. I want to run hard and cross the line with the fire raging in my heart. And that happens. That happens as we continue on in the way that we first received the Lord. That's the key. You say, how do we do it? You, you stay strong, you stay committed by continuing on in the things that you did at first. So how did you receive the Lord? Well, you received the Lord with the faith of a child. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. 
That's not to say that we're to remain childish. But at the same time, we can never lose our childlike sense of wonder, awe in who God is. I mean, you think about kids, and you mentioned I've got four kids, and kids have no trouble believing in God or believing in the stories of the Bible and creation and the flood, and, and they see this world, and they're like, it's obvious to them that there's a God. But somehow we get older, and we get educated, and all of a sudden, the things that we took at face value now were too smart to receive. No, no, no. Keep that childlike faith. Secondly, when you received the Lord, you received him by grace through faith. Ephesians 2a, I'm sure many of you know this scripture, and if you do, say it with me out loud. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace isn't just the starting point. It's also the finish line. It's not, it's not like this is just to kind of get you going and then you graduate on to other things. It's, it's the whole thing. It's the A to Z. Grace is how we continue to make all forward progress in our walk with the Lord. One more thing. You receive Jesus as Lord. So if you're going to continue on, then that means you must continue to serve him as Lord. He's not your co-pilot. He's not your divine bellboy. He's not your magic genie that if you do the right thing and you pray the right prayer and you make sure you pray it in Jesus' name that you get what you want. No, no, no. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's God and you're not. So we serve him. Amen. And Paul goes on in verse 7. He says, when you continue in these things, you'll be rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I love the pictures that he uses. You'll be rooted. You'll be built up. He paints a picture of a, a tree with deep roots and a building with strong foundations. I was in Yosemite last summer and we visited uh, some of the, the giant sequoias in the Mariposa Grove. I mean, these massive trees have literally been standing for 2,000 years since the time of Christ. You think about the things they've seen. Paul says, that's what I want you to be like. You see these buildings, not in America, we're pretty young, but you go to other parts of the world and there are structures still standing from the Middle Ages and you're like, wow, they knew how to build things to last back then. And that's what God wants us to be like, rooted, grounded, and full of thanksgiving, never losing that thankful heart. And then we'll wrap up in verses 8 through 10. Where he says, now you're complete in Christ. This is the key to the whole thing. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Wow. He's talking here about the Gnostics, and there's a lot of big words that he uses there. But basically he's talking about vain philosophy, deceptive words, human traditions. It's people that say, ah, Jesus is a great starting point, but if you really want to know what this life is about, then you need my magazine, or you need my book, or you need to meet my guru. And Paul says, no, 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 it's about Jesus Christ and him only. For in Christ, he goes on to say in verse 9, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. we got to stop right there. This is one of the most powerful statements that you will find anywhere in Scripture relating to the deity of Jesus Christ. He's, he's not half God, half man. He's not just a good moral teacher. He's not just a prophet. He is 
God in human flesh. He left heaven and came to this earth to live the life that we could never live and die the death that we deserve so that when we put our faith in him, we could have eternal life through Jesus. He claimed to be more than what those other people say. He didn't just represent God. He was God. And then he proved he was God when he went to the cross and he rose from the dead. So in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you, that's you, have been brought to that same fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. Listen, you are complete in Christ. You have already been equipped with everything that you need to accomplish every task that God puts you on this earth to, to accomplish. He uses the exact same word. In him, all the fullness of the deity dwelt. And in Christ, you have been brought to that same fullness. Did you catch how many times he references that phrase, in Christ? He says in verse 9, in Christ. He says it again in verse 10, in Christ. He says it again in verse 11, in him. He says it again in verse 12, with him. He says it again in verse 12, with him, in him. For him, through him, in him, with him, through him, for him. You are complete in Christ. Now, the, the word picture there, when it says fullness, it, it was a word that they would use to describe a ship that was getting ready to go into a voyage that was fully outfitted and fully equipped with all of the supplies and provisions that the sailors would require for their journey. In the same way Paul wants us to know, God has given you everything you need. You say, but what about my past? Doesn't that disqualify me? What about the things I've done? And God wants you to know that he bled and died for those things. He bled and died for your history, but he is far more interested in your future than he is in your history. His, your history is now his history because you've been placed in Christ. So when Jesus looks at, or God the Father looks at you, he sees you through the lens of what Jesus did for you on the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, washes us, forgives us, transforms us, renews us in Christ. And you're complete in him. So let me pray for you. And then we're going to worship some more. And, and there's a whole lot more. We're still just getting started. But Father, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. I truly, I, I wasn't just doing a preacher thing. I truly sense in my spirit there is so much potential in this room that is waiting to be unleashed. And God has brought you to this point and this moment in time because he's getting ready to unlock new dimensions of his glory in your life. I believe that the Lord is unlocking new giftings, new anointings. I believe he's calling missionaries. I believe he's calling pastors. I believe he's equipping and calling lawyers, and 
medical professionals and people in the sales force. And he wants to unleash us like, like salt and like light into the community where he has placed us so that we can have a kingdom impact and push back the darkness. Lord, our prayer collectively today is that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yet we're so aware of the fact that you have chosen to do things in partnership through us and with us. Without you, we can't. But without us, you won't. You're waiting for that man or that woman to raise their hand and say, Lord, here I am, send me. And so we've already said it. So many of us stood earlier and we said, God, we want to be used. We want to be vessels of your grace, of your mercy, of your message. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for all that's taking place and all that's going to come from this, the fruit that's going to come in the years to come. All those bowls that are filled with prayers of the saints, Lord, that you're getting ready to answer and unleash. We just thank you in advance. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Did you receive that? Would you stand and just say, yes, I received that from the Lord? Come on. Let's receive that word that's from the Lord. That's truth. That's life. You know, I, I just want to take a moment. And um, is it okay? I want to pray for Pastor Daniel. We love you, brother. Want to, is that all right if we pray for Pastor Daniel? Uh, Pastor Ron, come. We just want to lift you up. And what we receive that word, that truth. I want to be rooted, established. Amen. And, and you know, you're a young man and you're just following. You said yes. And you are leading something that God has his hand on. It's not a small thing. And we want to come around you because Pastor Daniel, your family. Amen. Amen. You're your family. We love you. Yeah, come on. Oh. We want to lift you up, Pastor Ron. What a powerful word that we heard from the Lord. And the Lord has called many of you into ministry. You will walk in the things that God has spoken concerning your lives. Hallelujah. Amen. Just say with me right now, yes, Lord. See, let your heart be connected to your confession that comes out of your mouth to the one who called you and he will bring it to pass. Come on, say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. One more time. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. He is faithful. He's the one who called you, and he will bring it to pass. And we do love Daniel so very much. Daniel, thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of Spiritual Emphasis. I want you to know that you have a family here at Teen Challenge, Southern California, and we will be praying for you and interceding for you and, and for the great Maranatha family. And uh, I, I, I didn't know your dad for a very long time, but for the short time that I did get to know Pastor Ray, he was an incredible man of God, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of good fruits. Hallelujah. And you're walking, you're walking in your own identity and your own anointing. Uh, your father finished his course, and he finished it well, as you said earlier. 
And I said, yes and amen. And you've been already in your own lane. You know, the book of Hebrews tells us that we're to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. And so God had already authored and perfected your faith to walk in the lane and to run in the lane that you've been running in. Amen. And so you're not running in, 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 his, in your dad's lane. You're running in your lane. And it's such a beautiful thing to see. And so, Father, we just thank you for your anointing. We thank you for the power of your grace that is upon your servant. Lord, we honor you today and we bless you. And it says in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And he despised the shame of it and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he's interceding for us. And so, Lord, I thank you for the joy that is set before your servant, Daniel. Lord, that he will continue to persevere and fulfill all that you place in his heart. We bless him, we bless his family, and we bless the great Maranatha Family Church. And we thank you, Father, for the great things that you have prepared, the plans that you prepared before the foundation of the world that they will walk in. And we bless your servant today in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a shout of victory in this place. He's worthy. Jesus. Thank you for choosing our podcast today. We hope that you have been encouraged and blessed by this message. Make sure not to miss any future episodes by subscribing to this podcast right now. And may God bless you today.